The following lecture was delivered at the 16th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Miami, Florida, a project of the Rohr Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy it. We encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi Avraham Stolik now presents his lecture, The Pilgrimage Road, inside Israel's largest archaeology project. Good morning, everyone. My name is Avraham Stolik, and I'm going to take you on a journey today 2,000 years ago. What, was, what were U.S. Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, White House Envoy Jason Greenblatt, and many other dignitaries doing in a subterranean Jerusalem tunnel about three years ago? The answer is, they were unveiling the most ambitious and costly archaeological excavation Israel has ever undertaken. Its name is the Pilgrimage Road. Imagine being a pilgrim in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. You're walking on the main street of Jerusalem on your way up to the Temple Mount. Fast forward 2,000 years, that same road is now 30 feet underground. And it's being exposed as we speak in, as I mentioned, the most ambitious excavation to date. You will be amazed as we explore this ancient pilgrimage road and the drainage channel beneath it that reveals the link between the city of David and the Temple Mount. Along the way, we will highlight some of the dramatic finds that were <clears throat> discovered in the channel and on the road that are reshaping our understanding of the city's ancient history. It all started in 2004. There was a road in the southern part of the city of David, which is the ancient historic core of Jerusalem. There was a a sewer pipe that busted. So they called in the uh, repairmen to repair the sewer pipe. And as it's done anywhere in Jerusalem, any archaeologically sensitive site, whenever there's any digging going on, regardless if it's just a repair, they have to have an archaeologist on site just to make sure that nothing is found. Well, sure enough, the track, as the tractor is digging into the ground, to repair, an archaeologist hears the clanging of the metal from the, from the tractor on what sounded like a stone. They realized that they have come across the ancient Shiloach pool. This, is the, the, this was a, a pool the size of about two Olympic-sized pools on the southern tip of the city of David. This was right by the entrance to the city. And as you enter, as you enter the, uh, the gates of the city, your first stop as a pilgrim would be this massive pool. What was this pool used for? Uh, could have been used as a mikvah, which as we know, was one, of the, one had to be pure in order to enter the Temple Mount. 
Once the pool has been discovered, which I may add only about a small portion of it has been exposed, most of the pool still cannot be exposed because it belongs to a, a Greek Orthodox church. They then, archaeologists then, decided to connect the dots. And they said, well, if the pool was here, then where did people go after they immersed in this pool? Obviously, everybody knows you, the, the main road of Jerusalem. So they figured the main road of Jerusalem must have begun somewhere near this site. And this is when they began to, uh, you know, do some exploring. And sure enough, they came upon a step towards the direction of the Temple Mount. This was a, an exhilarating find for them because <clears throat> it confirmed that there must be something this must be the beginning of the road. And as they begin to expose this stepped road, because the road is built on a hill, as we ascend towards the Temple Mount, they then discovered a hole in the road. When somebody jumped into the hole, they found themselves in an underground tunnel, narrow tunnel, which they identified as a site of Jerusalem's ancient sewer system, what we call the drainage channel, which channeled all <clears throat> the rainwater under the main street of Jerusalem. So let's get started here. Here, the pilgrimage road from the Shiloh Pool to the Western Wall. Here it is. Uh, <clears throat> here's the picture of Ambassador to Israel David Friedman and White House Envoy Jason Greenblatt ceremoniously um, using sledgehammers to remove a, a, a wall that was erected for the, the unveiling of the newly um, exposed section of the pilgrimage road. And this, my friends, is what a slice of the pilgrimage road looks like today. It is not open to the public yet. It is still an active archaeological site. So let's begin with looking at what exactly is Jerusalem's step street and the drainage channel beneath, which, as I mentioned, is a link between the city of David and the Temple Mount. So as you can see here, you can see the, uh, the red line indicates where the road begins on the southern tip of where you see the city of David is located. Now, the city of David is a ridge jutting out south of a Temple Mount, and it, is, it has been identified conclusively as the site where Jerusalem began. This is the city that King David captured from the Jebusites. It is now pre-COVID. There were one million annual visitors visiting the city of David. It has become a must-see uh, must destination in Jerusalem, obviously after the Western Wall. So you see that little pool where it says Pool of Siloam? In Hebrew, it's called the Shiloach Pool. And by the way, the Arab village, which is located near this area, is called, till today, Silwan, named after the Shiloach Pool, Siloam. And you see the red line indicates where the, the road began from the pool at the bottom edge of the city, where the entrance to the city was. And it made its way up along the uh, edge of the city of David. And then it w continues alongside the western wall of the Temple Mount. So 
Actually, when you stand in front of a temple, the, the Western Wall, the Kotel, the prayer plaza, you're standing a, a, a number of layers above what used to be the main street of Jerusalem. You can see, if you've been to areas that have been exposed south of a Western Wall plaza near the Robinson's Arch, the, the, uh, you can see the, the main street of Jerusalem that has been exposed. Has anybody here been to the Jerusalem, uh, the Kotel Tunnel Tours? Okay, so I see almost all of you have been there. There is a section of a Kotel Tunnel Tours which takes you on the, again, the main street of Jerusalem. So that would be right, right around over here is where the Kotel Tunnel Tours and the area I mentioned before near Robinson's Arch is over here. So some of these sections have been exposed. But this entire section has been covered up. And you ask, wait a minute, this was a regular road like we have today, a street under the sky? Why is it 30 feet under the ground? And the answer is because when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, we just commemorated Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, last week, uh, actually this past week, uh, on Sunday, um, where the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. Well, they, they did a quick job. They destroyed the buildings. They burnt the place down, and all of the rubble has just accumulated. And when the city builders continued to build on at some point, they didn't remove all the rubble. They didn't have uh, tractors like today. It wasn't feasible. So they just built on top of the existing destruction layer. And this happened a number of times. And now the road is underground. <clears throat> we take a look here. You see the pilgrimage road leading from the Siloam Pool to the Temple Mount. Here's the city of David put out this map. You can see the road. Here's the pool, massive pool. And this was the main road leading up to the Temple Mount. And this is superimposed on what the Temple Mount looks like today. And here you have another view of the road. And this is what, when the temple was in existence, this is what, the, based on Josephus' writing and archaeological finds, uh, this is what the temple would have looked like. So you have the, the people actually walked up towards the main entrance of the Temple Mount right here, the double gate, triple gate, known as the Chulda Gates. Here's another view. This is a, a reconstructed uh, view by collaboration between the Israel Antiquities Authority and the UCLA. They did a simu simulation. And you can see here the main road of Jerusalem, step road in this section here along the Kotel. It's not a step road. It's a, smoo it's a, it's a, it's a uh, smooth road, flat road. But here it's because it's on a hill, so we have a step road. Here's a... Uh, reconstruction, an illustration of a street scene on the main road of Jerusalem where people were walking up with their offerings for the temple. Um, some people are carrying their first fruits for the Bikurim. Um, it was a busy place. During the three major festivals of Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, this was a busy, there were tens of thousands perhaps even hundreds of thousands of pilgrims that would come to this area uh, in Jerusalem to visit the temple. You have the road above and the channel below. So you see here, you can actually see here where the street, the step, the, the street was broken and you can see the drainage channel underneath the step road. And you see this section of the road is actually much narrower than the, 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 the 
the picture we saw all earlier. This is when they only discovered one section, and then they later found another section, and they connected, they realized that they connect. Uh, here you can see an illustration during the Temple era, people walking on the road above and the drainage channel below. Today, like I mentioned before, the road is not open to the public yet, but the, the drainage channel is. You can actually walk from the Pool of Siloam all the way till the Kotel underground following that ancient drain, drainage channel. Here's a, a better close-up picture of that <clears throat> road with the drainage channel. Let's watch this short clip of uh, one of the representatives of the city of David, Doron Spillman, giving a uh, quick tour of this area. Here I am at the archaeological site of the Siloam Pool, discovered by archaeologists in 2004. Mentioned in the Bible, the Siloam Pool was the major water-drawing source of ancient Jerusalem. These, in fact, are the stairs that brought Jewish pilgrims down into the pool to purify before they began the dramatic ascent up to the Temple Mount. Archaeologists, however, ask themselves a question. If this was the pool, how did those pilgrims actually walk up to the Temple and the Western Wall? That brings us to our next and perhaps most exciting discovery. This is the ancient pilgrimage thoroughfare, and these are the very stairs that are being excavated that once carried millions of Jews from the Siloam Pool up to the Temple Mount 2,000 years ago. All right, let's take a look at some of the characteristics of the road and the drainage channel. So this is the, the road. Again, this is a, a section of the road. It's not the full, the original size, as we'll see. Uh, it was originally 25 feet wide. But this is a small section of it. Uh, it had a unique pattern. You take a look at these stairs going up. You'll see there are two stairs and a landing, two stairs and a landing. This followed a similar pattern of the main staircase leading up to the Temple Mount main entrance uh, on the southern wall of the Temple Mount. Similar pattern. Uh, some people say that this was done deliberately in order that your steps up to the Temple Mount should be focused. In using modern-day lingo, uh, you can't text as you're walking up these steps because you will stumble. So you have to be, your steps have to be deliberate. There were 600 meters from the pool until you reached the Temple Mount. The entire length of the road uh, would actually be one kilometer. That would be going all the way almost till the Damascus Gate uh, towards uh, the entire length of the, almost the entire length of the Kotel, the Western Wall. Now here's some characteristics of the drainage channel. The drainage channel is obviously is a lot more narrow. It's about uh, one, a third to one meter wide because it was not really meant for public consumption. It was for the maintenance crew. And it was about one to three meters in height. Um, today it is about 15 to 20 meters below ground, so it's about 40 to 50 feet underground. We saw there was a, there was, we see there's a unique horizontal archaeology that, was, that is being used to excavate both the channel and the road. This was the most, this, this type of archaeology doesn't exist anywhere else in Israel. Typically, an archaeological excavation is where you remove the top layer and you keep going down. 
like vertical archaeology. And the reason is because every layer represents another era. So you, there's the, the Muslim, the, the Turkish, the, the, the Mameluk, the, the Byzantine, the, the Roman, Second Temple, First Temple. But when you're dealing with an underground site such as this, the only way you can dig is horizontally because there are homes above ground that you can't just simply move. And there's a road up, uh, above ground as well. So they have to move it, they have to dig little, like a tunnel and very carefully removing the layers. And you can see here how all of the earth that is removed is placed into sacks. And these sacks are move, moved along on the system that, uh, on a rod, till it gets to the entrance and then they sift through it. A lot of incredible finds, small ones, that would ordinary, ordinarily never be found, uh, were discovered based on the sifting of this earth. And here you can see on the road, it's, uh, another more elaborate system. They have these buckets that are filled up coming from the, the, the beginning of the digging, where, where the digging is taking place, and the earth, the earth is filled onto the buckets. It's then moved along. This one is uh, an electric system, so it just moves along, and it is sifted. So a little bit of history of the drainage channel and the, uh, a little bit about, yeah, this specifically the drainage channel. This is a very revealing slide. So this is the development of the Temple Mount throughout its various phases of expansion. So you have over here color-coded. The, the center yellow area was the size of a Temple Mount plaza in King Solomon's time, the first temple and also the beginning of the second temple period. It's roughly is what roughly you would say about 750 foot square. Then the orange color-coded extension was done by the Hasmoneans. In Hebrew, the Hasmoneim, the descendants of the Maccabees. They extended it to the south. The green is the largest extension by far, and that was done by King Herod. Herod was known as the, one of the greatest builders in history. And the Western Wall that we have today, which is roughly, this is where the Western Wall Plaza is, is the remnants of the, the second Temple Mount walls built by Herod and his builders. So if you take a look, look, remember these color codes and the three phases of, ex, of expansions. And now let's look over here from a bird's eye view, and we can see very clearly this is the, 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 the southwestern corner of the original Temple Mount Plaza walls. There used to be a drainage channel in Jerusalem that went along here. And what happened was when the Hasmoneans made their extension, it went right over the drainage channel. So the Hasmoneans had to build a new drainage channel, which they did right here. This is the Hasmonean drainage channel. And then when Herod built his extension, you can see here color-coded in green, it went right over the Hasmonean drainage channel. So he had to build a bypass, this is the Herodian bypass, where it, re it rejoins it here, and over here, this is a bypass. You can actually see that the, the, the train, drainage channel has different construction methods that were used. You can clearly tell which is the Hasmonean, which is the Herodian. Like this one here, the Hasmonean has a flat roof, whereas the Herodian has a vaulted ceiling. 
because you know Herod did everything on a more grand style. So even his, even his uh, public works, you know, his his sewer system, which is not really meant for the public, was a little more elaborate. Features along the route. So this is one of the most incredible stories about the discovery of the drainage channel. You can see here, we saw or saw it earlier, along the step, along the road, there is a broken step. You can see very clearly, and you can see here, the, uh, the authorities blocked up the step right here. They, they put some wood on. In a newer version, they put plexiglass. But you can see clearly, why was the step broken? Particularly, you know, there were five points along this road that had broken, been broken in down to the drainage channel. Well, when archaeologists first entered the drainage channel, what they found was this, something you don't find in any archaeological excavation anywhere, and that is cookware and vessels and oil lamps that were completely intact. Typically, when you find vessels or pottery in underground, it would be shattered, and they have a special team that's able to piece it together like a puzzle. But in this case, it was completely intact, and immediately the archaeologists on site recalled a very well-known passage from Josephus, which reads as following. The Romans killed some of them, some they carried away as captives, and others they made a search for underground, and when they found where they were, they broke up the ground and killed all of them, all they met with. This tells us a very harrowing tale. When the Romans laid siege to Jerusalem, the Jews could not enter or leave. And when they finally breached the city walls and they, and they brought destruction upon the city, the Jews had nowhere to run. But there were some Jews that thought of an escape route, and that was the city sewer system. You recall another place where Jews were hiding in the sewers? Well, of course, the, the Warsaw Ghetto. There were Jews, some of them actually managed to escape, actually, some of the leaders of the uprising. But in this case, they were not so lucky because someone had tipped off the Romans that there were about 2,000 Jews that were hiding in the drainage channel. And they lasted for some time. They, and that's, that explains why there was completely intact cookware and oil lamps, because it was just left untouched. And they, they ate, and they had light, until the Romans came in, and they uh, either slaughtered the Jews, and some of them they took captive, including one of the leaders of the rebellion Shimon Bar-Giura, according to Josephus, was also found in this hiding in this drainage channel. A very interesting discovery that was made in the drainage channel is this, a Roman legionnaire's sword and leather sheath. One of the Roman soldiers, this is clear evidence that the Roman soldiers were in this drainage channel, rounding up the Jews. Uh, one, of, one of the soldiers, you know, swords that were, in a, obviously it's not in the best condition. It's been there covered by earth for, for 2,000 years. And you can see here uh, a uh, what it would have looked like if it was new. It would look something like this. Here you can see an illustration of a soldier holding his, uh, his sword and it's in, in a leather sheath. Now, 
Let's move on to the next discovery, and this is a very interesting discovery because this was one of the things that archaeologists were just baffled. It's very difficult to <laughs> baffle an archaeologist, and when they found this set of stairs along Jerusalem's main road, they looked at it, and they, when they discovered the first step, they said, oh, wait, maybe it's a mikvah? No, it can't be a mikvah. It's right on the main street. Um, perhaps it's a, leading into someone's home? But that wouldn't make sense. It's right at the edge of the main street. There isn't even like an easement. And as they dug up, and then all of a sudden the steps stop. And they wondered, what, what is this the stairs to nowhere? You know, if you've ever been to New York, there's the stairs to nowhere. Well, they, all kinds of theories have been proposed. One of them being this, that it was actually the claimant stone of Jerusalem mentioned in the Talmud, where it says the following. It says there was a claimant stone in Jerusalem, and anyone who had lost an item would be directed there. And anyone who found, um, and, uh, anyone who had lost or found something would be directed there, and the finder would then you know, proclaim his, what he found, and the, and, and the uh, person who had lost it would give these, the, the signs that belongs to him. This was, in Hebrew, is called the Evan Hatoin. It's also mentioned in the story of Choni Amagel. He said that if it rains so much, go see if the claimant stone has been flooded over. That we, then we know we got enough water. So this might be the claimant stone, right? And it makes sense. It's right along the main street of Jerusalem uh, where people would get up. Some people suggest this was the original speaker stone, you know, you like the Hyde Park corner in London where anybody can get up and make, you know, get everyone's attention. You know, this was a, definitely a great spot. Some people say that the Romans actually um, punished people on this, on this little platform. Well, we don't know for sure what it was used, but any one of these theories are possible. As you move along the, the, the drainage channel, you come to an amazing uh, location. As we saw before, the Herodian bypass of the, uh, because, because the drainage channel would, would have continued right on to where the Temple Mount walls are today, the Herodian bypass goes, skirts the foundation of the western wall. And you can actually see that right here. And if you look closely, you'll see the, the western wall stones do not look like they do above ground. They are much more rough because it, this was not meant for public view, so they didn't smooth it out. But we can actually see, this is the, where the foundations of the, of the western wall of the Kotel were literally laid onto the bedrock. As you come to the end of this drainage channel, uh, until where the visitor is allowed to go, you make your way out right here underneath Robinson's Arch. This is this was the, again, an exposed section of the main street of Jerusalem. And right here, they opened it up. And you can see a guy is walking up the stairs, just coming up from the ground. Um, he is at the end of this drainage channel tour. We're just curious, has, has anybody here been through this drainage channel? No one. OK. I went here. I went with my children through this drainage channel. It was uh, definitely an experience to remember. Not in the, no, there's no water in this one, especially not in the summer. 
maybe during the winter. So let's look at some of the incredible artifacts that were found inside the drainage channel and on the road. So we start with this. This was, again, an incredible find. It was a weight called a Becca weight. What is a Becca weight? A Becca weight is a certain measurement that would be the same exact measurement as a half shekel. So as we know, the Jews were, were compelled to give an annual tax of a half shekel for the upkeep of the temple mount, of the temple. And at some point in the first temple period, there were no half shekel coins. There was no half shekel, there were no currencies uh, that they would use that could be appropriate half shekels. So what did they do? They had silver, and a, ha a shekel is a weight. It's a certain weight measurement. And they took this weight, this stone weight, which weighs in, as I said, the same weight as a half shekel, and they put it on a scale, and then they took some silver pieces that they had, ignats, you know, and put it on the other side of the scale, and if it weighed, you know, measured up, then they, this was the equivalent of a half shekel, which they offered as the half shekel tax in, in the form of silver nuggets. It didn't have to be a coin. It just had to be an amount of silver. This was how it, the half shekel was given in the first temple period. And you can see clearly here, for those of you who have read ancient Hebrew, there are three letters on this stone, Bez, Kuf, Ayin, which spells Beka, which is the Hebrew term for that weight measurement of a half shekel. You can see here, straight out of the Bible, uh, one beka per head, a half shekel, according to the holy shekel, um, and everyone was required to give this measurement. Now, this was during the first temple period. During the second temple period, there was another method of half shekel that was given, and this is, leads us to our next find. And this is, was actually a whole shekel. It's called a Tyrian silver shekel. This was the standard use for the, sh for the half shekel purpose. But you ask, well, this is a whole shekel. It's not a half shekel. How did people give this? So the answer is two people shared one shekel, and they offered their tax of a half shekel each. Because there was no half shekel, so they, this, was the, this was the type of, of coin that they, coinage that they used because this one had the most amount of silver in it. It wasn't, it wasn't diluted. And this particular one was struck in the year 22 of the Common Era. It was used, this type of shekel, for half shekel purposes, was used in the second temple period from 125 before the Common Era until 66, which was four years before the second temple was destroyed. What did they use after the year 66? So that was the first time in history that a half shekel coin was minted for the first time. And that was done by the rebels. The rebels of, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount minted their own shekel. They, they, they had plenty of silver. Um, so far, the half shekel has not been found on this road or the drainage channel, but a half shekel has been found from rubble that was taken out of the Temple Mount. 
What they did find in the drainage, in the, on the road is this. Oh, I'm going backwards. They found a rebel shekel. Not a half shekel, but a shekel. This was found last year. Um, in the earth that was taken out with the buckets that we saw earlier, it was sent to a sifting site, and they've, a, little, a little, a young boy or girl that was sifting as a volunteer came across this. So you see, this is one side of the shekel minted by the rebels, and it says, Holy Jerusalem. On the other side, it says, Shekel Israel, in Hebrew, Shekel Yisrael, year two. That's because the rebels would always indicate on their coinage what year of the rebellion they were minting these coins. There's year one, year two, year three, year four, even year five, because it was four and a half years. The year five half shekel or shekel is the most valuable. If anyone, because that was lasted the shortest period of time before the destruction, if anyone has that shekel, it's worth, it could be worth, it's worth over a million dollars. As a matter of fact, I believe there was a shekel that was just auctioned off from a, an estate someone in California, and it sold for one point something million. So you can see, on, you noticed on the Tyrian shekel, which by the way, Tyre is a city in, in today, coastal Lebanon, but it was primarily, as, as it was Greek, a Greek type shekel. Um, it, was, uh, it had a picture of a Greek deity on one side and some other, uh, like an eagle on the other side. When the Jews minted their coins, they didn't put any of that images on. Look, on one side they had, it's not so clear, but they put uh, what's called a chalice, like a cup that was used for service in the temple. On the other side, oh here you can see the chalice on one side. The other side is not that visible, but it's like a, a pomegranate, like three, section, three branches with pomegranates coming out. In some of the other coins, they have a lulav with esrog on the side. They have different symbols from a temple and from Jewish service that they put onto the coins. Here's another find. As, a, you know, as any drainage channel, even if you walk on the street here, and you know, on the, look, there are grates on the side of the road with holes, and the, you know, it's meant to drain the, 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 the rainwater. People sometimes lose objects, and it ends up in the drainage, in the sewer system. Sometimes people lose valuable objects. It wasn't any different in ancient Jerusalem. People would be walking down the street, and someone threw something on the street, or they lost something, and it rolls into the drainage channel. Well, apparently this one guy, carved out a little uh, graffiti image of a menorah on a stone, and then he discarded it or some, maybe and it ended up in the drainage channel. It's just been there until it was discovered uh, as they exposed this. The most exciting find that was found in the drainage channel by far was, I mean, well, it definitely ranks as one of the most exciting, is this, is this golden bell. Now, this was a pretty good condition golden bell with an interesting design. But what's unique about this bell is that it actually had a loop on the top. And it seemed that it was attached to um, a, a fabric, it was attached to a garment. That would explain the, the loop. And it's an actual bell. There's actually a, a clapper inside and you can actually shake it and it makes noise even today. What was this bell from? 
according to some, some have hypothesized that this may be the golden bell from the hem of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, because we know, as we see here, that it says in the bottom hem of the Kohen Gadol's garments, there were, there were pomegranates made of uh, material and golden bells. There was a total of 72 bells on the, on the hem of his garment. And you can see here, here's an illustration of the high priest in the holy temple. At the bottom, you see pomegranate bell, pomegranate bell. This might be the bell from the high priest. Of course, we don't know for sure. There's no name on it, we don't, but it's a possibility. This has become such a sensation in the city of David when this was found that the, the city of David be, began to produce their own jewelry based on certain artifacts that have been discovered in the city of David. So you can actually buy a golden bell uh, jewelry, like a necklace, with that same distinct design of the golden bell that was found. It only will set you back about $1,000. Now, if that's a little too expensive, you can buy a gold-plated version for 159 the next discovery was actually an extremely rare discovery that literally was the first, one of the first times that they found an object that clearly tells us about temple activity. Because, you know, there is no archaeological excavations on the Temple Mount itself. It's off limits to archaeologists because it's controlled by the Wakaf and they don't allow any, any archaeological digs. But then they came across this find, which was described as a temple token, a temple token, sort of like an ancient ticket. What was this token used for? So first, let's see what it says here. This is from first temple. And actually, this is, sorry, this is from the second temple. And it says in Aramaic, which was the common language during, uh, towards the end of the second temple period, it says, Daka Lika, which means pure for God. And we know about this token from the Mishnah. The Mishnah, I'll go back to this in a minute so we can look at it again, but the Mishnah says, whoever required libations would go to Yochanan, who was in charge of the stamps. This is what they call it, like a token or a stamp give him the appropriate amount of money, and would receive a stamp from him in return. He would then go to Achia, who was in charge of the libations, give him the stamp, and receive the, the libations from him. In other words, if you went to the temple and you were going to bring an offering, a libation, you first had to certify that you were pure, that you have been pure, purified, you're not uh, impure, and then you would pay for the libation for the offering, and after you, you paid for it, you would receive a token. You would then take this token that certifies that you are pure, and you would hand it to another Kohen who would be seated on the Temple Mount, and he would give you the, the proper libation. The meaning of this word, of this token, let's go back for a second and we see what it looks like. You can see here very clearly, for those of you who read ancient Hebrew, I'm sorry, this is actually not ancient Hebrew. This is contemporary Hebrew that was used in the second temple period. So let's see, we can see the, there's the Dalid, Dalid, Kaf, Aleph. That's Daka, 
And in the bottom here is the, the Lamed, Yud, and the Hay. The Hay looks like a Ches, but it's, it's a Hay. Daka Leka, which means pure for God in Aramaic. This would certify that you were pure and you received the tongue. This, is, this was a, an incredible find because for the first time, something was found just a few years ago that actually indicates of, uh, of, of temple activity because until now we just read it from the books, but this was an actual find that relates to actual temple activity. So this was a very sensational find. The next discovery that was made in, on the road, and this will be our last one. At some point, as they uncover the pilgrimage road, they realize that the road widens a little bit. And then they found all kinds of measurements, little stone weight, weight measurements and other measurements they realized that this must have been the original shuk of Jerusalem. Well, it's on the main street of Jerusalem. It would make, make sense that this would be, that this is the main thoroughfare. This was the original shuk machana Yehuda of Jerusalem. And it wasn't long until they found this. This was a, uh, made of stone. It was a table measurement. Um, so this was, uh, you can see a cavity at the center of this stone, and at the bottom, if you look closely, you can actually see a hole. So this was the, 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 the shook manager, the market manager, who was known as the agronomist. He would be in charge of any weights and measurements that were done in the, in the give and take and, and uh, the, what the merchants of Jerusalem Needed. So let's say I would wanted to purchase one, let's use an ancient unit of measurement, liquid measurement, a log, a log, right? Today we have, let's say, a liter or a gallon, a quart, then they had a log. So let's assume I want to sell someone one log of wine, but I don't have the proper measurements to measure a log. So the market manager would have a table with a number of different cavities that would have already the precise measurements of different liquid volumes. So you have this stone here, you pour your wine from your jug into this uh, cavity, and because there's a little tiny hole on the bottom, you can actually plug that hole either with your finger or put something else in until it fills up to the top. Now you know that this is one log of wine. You then took your, the buyer's jug that was empty, and you put it underneath this stone weight, and you remove the plug, and the, the wine would just run into your jug. And that, now you know you purchased an exact log of wine. So this is a fascinating find that uh, indicates that this is where the ancient shuk of Jerusalem used to be. It belonged to Jerusalem's central market manager. Before we conclude, you saw some of the photos earlier of the uh, Jerusalem's main street that's being uncovered as we speak. And it's, as I mentioned, it's one of the costliest excavations. It, not one. It is the costliest excavation Israel has ever undertaken. Why so? You may have noticed in the photo 
there was steel reinforcements above your head. And that's because when you're excavating a tunnel about 30 feet underground and there are homes above, if you don't reinforce the, the, the ceiling, there's a concern that it will start collapsing. So the Israeli archaeologists hired these engineers. They consulted Swiss tunnel engineers who have experience with tunneling through the Alps, and they now work in tandem. So as the archaeologists begin to remove the earth, as they begin to remove the earth, a certain section is exposed. Immediately, the, the engineers come, and they begin to weld, and they, they, they extend the steel structure overhead so that it holds the ceiling in place. It's an incredible uh, accomplishment that, that this is, they've actually won uh, a tunnel award. This is an international tunnel engineering award uh, for an archaeological tunnel that is not to be found anywhere in the world. It's unique. Someday in, in the next number of years, it's going to be open to the public. Let's just conclude with this quote from the Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us an interesting an interesting uh, uh, law. We know that the pilgrims were obligated to go up to the temple, and you either would go at the three major festivals or you would try to go at least once a year, and you had to go by foot. That's the term in Hebrew, ole regel. Even the names of the festivals in Hebrew and in the Bible are called the shalosh regalim, the three festivals. Regel means your foot, because you had to walk up to the temple. From where did you have to walk? Can I take my car if I lived in, if I lived in uh, Tzfat? Can I drive down to Jerusalem? You can, but from a certain point you had to walk. From where? So we, have a, so, so we know that it's from the beginning of Jerusalem. And here's an interesting uh, disagreement. Who is a, a, does a minor have to walk? Is he obligated to be a pilgrim? Who is a minor? Whoever is unable to ride on his father's shoulders and go up from Jerusalem to the Temple Mount is the words of Beit Shammai. But Behilo says, whoever is unable to hold his father's hand and go up from Jerusalem to the Temple Mount, as is said, three regalim. So according to Hillel, if your child can walk from the city gates of Jerusalem, which was near the Siloam pool, which we saw earlier, up to the Temple Mount, which is about 600 meters, if he can walk up those 600 meters on his own feet, he is then obligated to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's where we see these 600 meters, which is being excavated as we speak, are the most important 600 meters in the pilgrim's journey. That's when they arrive at the city, they purify themselves, and they make their way up. It's called Ola Regel. You're going up, Aliyah Regel, because you're walking up that step street, and you're going up towards the Temple Mount. I hope that you enjoyed this presentation. Um, I, do, uh, I do a number of other presentations relating to Jerusalem. Uh, I've did a number of years ago, I've done something called the Archaeological Claim to Jerusalem at a, at a JLI retreat. Another very popular one I do is called Underground Secrets of a Temple Mount. Uh, City of David, Mysteries Revealed, Holy Trash, uh, Temple Mount Salvage Operation. 
and Hezekiah's tunnel. For those of you who have visited the city of David, you've been through that water tunnel mentioned before. That is a discussion for itself, but it is a fascinating engineering feat. So this brings us to the conclusion of our presentation. And if anybody would like to email me, my email address is info at jerusalemuncovered.com. Let's take questions now. Yes. I was waiting for that question. How did a Chabad rabbi get in, into archaeology? It's a long story, but suffice it to say that uh, I once had, uh, there was an archaeologist from Texas who um, was looking for the lost ark. Some people say that he is, his last name was Jones. Some people say he's the inspiration for Indiana Jones. And uh, my neighbor would be getting his, his, uh, his publications, and he'd be digging in Israel. And at one point, I looked through the spread in the 1980s, and I see he found in the Qumran Caves area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, he found a large amount of organic reddish substance, which has been tested by two independent chemists in, in America, to consist of eight out of the 11 spices used in the incense, in the ketores. And then he found the balsam oil, the famous Shemen Hamishka, the anointing oil that was used to anoint kings and, and Kohen high priests. And I said, wow, this, this grabs my attention. And so I've always been in very, very much a Jewish history buff, but I found that archaeology makes history tangible. And I became very into it since then, very passionate. Please visit myjli.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and toracafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.